Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorha, and welcome to IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life, a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. For this week's special episode, I am once again joined by Lizzie Bassett, because she's going to be interviewing me on the three films that changed my life. Lizzie and I talk about my passion for fandoms, watching Kubrick at a far too young an age, and whether or not Wayne Campbell is an auteur. If you're enjoying the show and haven't given us a review yet, please do or join the conversation on social media with hashtag movies that changed my life. So Lizzie, how's it going today? Hi, Ian. Welcome to your own show. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to dive into these today. Um, You've picked three great movies, one of which I actually had not seen before. Um, So thank you for that. And I'm sure I'm going to get some flack for not having seen this, uh, which is Mm -hmm. deserved. For sure. But we will get there in a little (laughs) bit. Um, I do want to just jump right in. So we're going to go in chronological order per huge. And that means that we will start with... The movie that uh, has appeared on the show before. This is actually something that was selected by the great Riza, um, who is, mm-hmm. I know, a personal hero of yours as well. So go check out that episode. Uh, it was also the number one movie that changed IMDb users' lives, um, which you can hear about in our mailbag episode from a couple of weeks ago. And the movie that we are starting with is, of course, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. It was released in 1977. It has an 8.6 out of 10 rating on IMDb with 1.2 million votes. Interestingly, Ian, your movies go in a descending order of votes today, <laughs> votes and ratings. Um, I'm dir- starting pretty high, though. So you, you know. are you're starting with the highest um, directed by George Lucas, of course, also written by George Lucas, starring the incomparable Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Alec Guinness, James Earl Jones, and many, many more. Now, for everyone who has not seen Star Wars, I refuse to do any spoiler alerts here because you've arguably had plenty of time. (laughs) Um, You've had a long time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Now, uh, according to the IMDb synopsis, the movie follows Luke Skywalker as he joins forces with a Jedi Knight, a cocky pilot, a Wookiee, and two droids to save the galaxy from the Empire's world-destroying battle station, uh, while also attempting to rescue Princess Leia from the mysterious Darth Vader. Tell me about the first time that you saw Star Wars A New Hope. You know, 
I don't remember exactly the first time, but I do remember the part of my life when I would watch it every day. <laughs> like my uncle, at, at one point he realized that I had, like, had seen Star Wars and I, I have a feeling it was at my friend Alex Thompson's house for when I was like kindergarten. And I believe the first one, uh, it was this. And then I remember watching at some point all three at his house. And so then I remember talking to my, I must've been talking to my uncle about it. And he actually gave me his old VHS box set of the original trilogy. And I remember just watching those VHS tapes like over and over and over again, um, in particular, A New Hope. And I think A New Hope, because it was probably like the least scary of the three at the time. Um, and I just like immediately became obsessed with it. Uh, like, you know, my, my parents didn't really watch Star Wars, so it's not like I was raised in like a house of Star Wars or anything like that. And my uncle just kind of gave me the VHSs and I just became so like enamored with everything in the world. I mean, all the characters, um, you know, it eventually like spread off to like video games, like just all this sort of stuff. But it really like, I was a pretty like active, creatively minded kid. Like I would always be playing movies or video games just like out like in person, if that makes sense. I remember I would take like cassette tapes and like put them in our little cassette player, like with random music. And then I would like make episodes of like Power Rangers or like Ninja Turtles. Yeah. So you were LARPing, like Ian, is what you're telling yeah. me, basically. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I was a young LARPer uh, <laughs> to my own soundtracks. And so I think Star Wars was the first like live action movie that like really gripped me and made me like obsessed with like a greater world and has since stuck with me forever and ever. Did you ever try to use the force when you were a kid just to I mean, see if it I, I still use it. I mean, <laughs> age there's age does not matter in terms of me trying to use the force on things. So. It's going to work one day. <laughs> I feel like everybody who watches Star Wars, even though it is such a vast and dynamic world, does seem to kind of connect to one character throughout the series. Is there anybody that you feel like you see yourself in the most? I think as a kid, it was definitely Luke. You know, he's a dreamer. He wants to get off of Tatooine and go live his life. But as I've gotten older, I think I've definitely come into like Han Solo as like my guy. Uh, I think I actually have a tattoo that says never tell me the odds, which is a, a line he says in this film when, you know, C3PO is like the you know odds of getting out of this are 3.1 million to whatever. And then he goes, never tell me the odds. Uh, and I feel like that is sort of like a life mantra I kind of have like taken on. You know, you can do whatever you want, you know, and, and don't let anyone tell you that you cannot do something. Uh, and that, that's just sort of like my life mantra for a while now. So definitely Han Solo. And when my parents found out I, I was really like obsessed with Star Wars, they bought me this like book where it was like the art of Lucas films. And mm. I still have it, actually. It's like a big picture book, like maybe like that thick, like 300 pages or something like that. And the first half of the book is all Star Wars, like props and how they made the props. And the second half is all Indiana Jones. And I would read that book like every single night. I would look through and see how they made like the Millennium Falcon. And I used to know every side character and every background character in every scene. And I think that is like a big reason that I like became obsessed with movies is because that was the first time I kind of realized that movies are like props and people behind the scenes make these things come true and like come on screen. 
it's interesting that you mentioned Han Solo as the character that you connect to the most now because his mantra kind of seems to be like, nobody can tell me I can't do something sort of and that, you know, it's it's kind of always worth trying. Do, do you feel like it's affected your choice of career or the way that you, because obviously you are a creator um, and a, a creative person, do you feel like that mentality has affected the way that you approach podcast and video creation? And if so, why? I think just reading and obviously not when I was a kid, I didn't realize this, but when I got older and read like all these books on how Star Wars was made and like, you know, everything, I think Lucas would always say that Star Wars was like the cheapest, most expensive movie ever made or something like that. And just sort of uh, reading about his obsession with like Flash Gordon and like Akira Kurosawa movies, um, it just made me like look at sort of movies in like a bigger scope of things. I don't think I really processed like people were inspired by other people or other movies until I started like yeah. reading about how this is homage to this thing. So yeah, it's a pastiche of like so many different things. Right. And I, I think, you know, that sort of thing makes may have like influenced me into wanting to speak to celebrities and stuff like that about things that influence them because that was, mm. you know, this movie is very important into the way I think of that and how like I observe sort of movies and music and all this sort of stuff. So yeah. Another reason that I think Star Wars has changed my life is that four or five years ago now, before I was doing like interviews for IMDb, I was doing social media ads and I went down to LA and I was scheduled to help create a, a Facebook live stream with Mark Hamill. Oh, wow. And when I get to LA, the person who was supposed to interview him, I think was someone from like the, the studio or something. They actually got sick or they got stuck in traffic and they weren't able to make it. And then someone who was there on my team was like, hey, Ian, do you like love Star Wars? Do you want to interview Mark Hamill? And I was like, excuse me? Uh, <laughs> and so I sat in on it and uh, I ended up doing the interview. So my first professional interview wow. ever was with Mark Hamill and was because I am like a dedicated Star Wars fan. Uh, and so I literally, like it changed my life like as a child in terms of how... I like looked at movies and like fell in love with movies. And then as an adult, it changed my life into like pushing me into my now career. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's pretty crazy. just like how that whole thing works out. How sweaty were your palms during that interview? <laughs> I, I was very sweaty. I, I like, I, I recently rewatched a part of it like a couple months ago, just cause I was curious and I'm sitting on this chair and you can just see me like wiggling around the whole time. Like my legs are shaking. <laughs> Uh, but Aww. it was it was a, it was a pretty good interview. Uh, I mean, at least good enough to keep going. So, and and people say never meet your heroes, but Mark Hamill is like the nicest guy ever. So, if you ever have a chance to meet him or do a meet and greet, if you're listening at like a con, do it because he's like the sweetest man. That's amazing. I definitely want to get into a, sort of how all these movies have affected your sort of interview style as well. Alas, we don't have hours to spend on Star Wars. I apologize. <laughs> so, I think we are going to move on to your next movie, which is. 1980s The Shining. It has an 8.4 out of 10 with 912,000 ratings on IMDb. Of course, directed by the one and only Stanley Kubrick, written by Stanley Kubrick and Diane Johnson, and based on the novel The Shining by Stephen King, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, and Scatman Crothers. And not a, not a lot of other people. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot of other people, right? Uh, the synopsis on IMDb reads, a family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where a sinister presence influenced the father into violence while his psychic son sees horrific forebodings, both past and future. Yeah, 
All right. Talk to me about The Shining. When was the first time you saw this? I remember I was in seventh grade and I went to a friend's house and his older brother, who was like very cool, was like really into film. He was like a film guy. And so I remember me and my friend, we like also really like wanted to get into like serious movies. And he was like, well, we need to watch like you need to watch like this Kubrick movie, The Shining. He probably wanted to try and like freak us out from watching. Right, it. right. We were like, what, 12 years old in um, seventh grade? Yeah, arguably and, too young for this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely too young for <laughs> The Shining or any Kubrick film. Uh, and I watched uh, The Shining and it just completely like blew my mind like i had never seen a movie that looked like the shining i mean obviously up until that point it was like comedies or kids movies or action movies and all sort of stuff but i'd never seen a movie that was made with like cinema like capital c like cinema uh at the top of mind and i was just completely like floored by everything. I remember like not really understanding like what track, like the tracking shot where Kubrick is following uh, Danny with the, uh, the little tricycle around. Like I mm-hmm. remember being like, how are the- how was he doing that? Like what, like how have I never seen a movie like this? And like the colors and even like the title fonts and like the opening credits, like everything about it was something I had just never experienced before. And so I like begged my friend's older brother. I was like, let me please give me like all the DVDs you have. And so he gave me A Clockwork Orange, oh, no. uh, 2001, <laughs> 2001 A Space Odyssey, Barry Lyndon, and Full Metal Jacket. And I watched all of them over the course of one weekend. And I just like became obsessed with everything about how Stanley Kubrick worked and like his meticulousness to film and how uh, all the details he put into everything. And maybe just like look at movies with a really like, you know, as tight of an eye as a seventh grader could, but it made me like <laughs> look at movies very differently and made me immediately made me seek out like other, you know, capital A artist filmmakers and like build, start to build up my, you know, like cinephile chops. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was just huge, huge for me in, in the way I consumed movies. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Well, so you mentioned 
being very interested in the way that Stanley Kubrick made films, which I think obviously like he is, was a fascinating. Controversial. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially particularly actually with this movie, um, the number of takes that he required of the actors was uh, astronomically high. I think allegedly one got up to 148 takes. Um, If you Mm -hmm, guys are mm -hmm. curious about that, we actually have a great video called uh, The Shining Mm. by the Numbers, which does actually break down a lot of information about uh, this movie, in particular, Stanley Kubrick's uh, affinity for arguably far too many takes, Um, but maybe not. The movie's (laughs) excellent. But I guess did that did that sort of idea of like, we will keep doing this until we get it, even if that is the end of time and we all die and we never get it. Do you feel like that has permeated your sort of work? structure at all it it made me look at art in a way that made me appreciate the lengths people go to to achieve what they want i mean there there are examples of this like for film and and music and i mean plays just like any sort of art form it made me look at like the creator and to really seek out the importance of the people who are making it versus just like the final product uh, if it has like influenced me as a person, I think in, in varying degrees, like I, I think it really helped, you know, I, I play a lot of music. I think it made me really want to increase like my practice ethic and all that sort of stuff. But I like to think, and Lizzie, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I like to think <laughs> I am not, uh, quite Kubrick level, uh, in terms of demands and complaints when we are working on, on projects <laughs> I can together. confirm you are not. Of a Kubrick level okay. in terms of the number of times we do things. <laughs> were there any scenes that were just like, that were too scary? Anything you had to cover yeah. your eyes for? The the woman in the bathtub scene. Ugh, that, yeah, still. That, that, scene, that scene still freaks me out. Uh, it still makes me uncomfortable. That scene, I remember being like, I like should cannot watch this. And then the actual like, the other thing that scared me a lot were the jump cuts um, of yeah. the uh, the dates when it was like Tuesday with like the loud music that like <laughs> freaked me out a lot and I remember like when I would rewatch it um, after the first time I watched it I would like kind of like put down the volume when I knew like the the Tuesday of the next date was coming um, <laughs> but, but, but yeah as as some of our listeners may know I, I think by now you are about to have a child um, yes. and this movie is sort of a just a very horrifying look at a parent-child dynamic, I think, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> among other things. <laughs> so I'm kind of wondering, has your perception of The Shining changed at all now that you're about to be a father? You know, I wouldn't say The Shining specifically, but the I, I watch a lot of horror movies. Lizzie, you know this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love horror movies. Uh, but the... The number of horror movies I've watched, which involve children, has definitely like decreased. Yeah, and I'll say. I imagine, <laughs> I imagine it will also decrease once like I actually once our, our child is born. But I remember uh, I put on like Hereditary not too <laughs> long ago, just like for some comfort food in the background. And my wife Tara was like, "Can we like not have Hereditary <laughs> on right now?" I was like, "Okay, that's fair. Like I get it. Like we don't have to have it on." Uh, so I I think maybe. It will change there, but I have definitely seen movies that since um, having, you know, since my wife got pregnant, like I have seen movies like differently and I anticipate the way I view films uh, will probably, will almost definitely like be altered Mm -hmm. uh, once, once that happens. But 
Which brings me to an important question, which is if your daughter happens to have The Shining, how do you plan to handle it? Uh, I will embrace that as quickly and as early uh, as possible. But if I do come in the bathroom and she is speaking with her uh, pointer finger, uh, yeah. we may have to move pretty quickly on all that. <laughs> Great. Last question here. Um, I know that you are a massive horror fan and in particular a fan of the horror that A24 tends to release. Yes. How did The Shining kind of sow the seeds for your love of horror and why do you think you are drawn to this genre? You know, when we were growing up, all horror was like teen slashers, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember when I watched, um, uh, you know, Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer and like Final Destination and all that sort of stuff. So for me, my like experience of horror for that kind of was just like sort of corny teen mm. horror. Yeah, yeah. Um, And like The Shining made me, uh, again, just like look at horror as like it is an art form also. There's more of a commentary. It can look good. It doesn't just have to be like, you know, people screaming, getting stabbed all the time. Mm-hmm. Like there are deeper layers to horror films. Um, and you bring up A24. Uh, I think Hereditary is going to be like The Shining uh, in like 10 years or so. Horror filmmakers 10 years from now are going to be referring to Hereditary in the same way that current filmmakers like reference The Shining as like a jumping off point and like a way horror sort of shifted. And I, I firmly believe like Hereditary is also going to be that. All right. So we are going to move on to your final movie here. Now, I teased at the top that I had never seen one of the movies that we were talking about today. I am embarrassed to say that that movie I have never mm. seen is 1992's Wayne's World. It has a 7 out of 10 rating on IMDb with 145,000 ratings. Directed by Penelope Spheris, our first woman director on the list. She also directed Black Sheep. And written by Mike Myers, of course, based on the character he and uh, Dana Carvey created for Saturday Night Live, and co-written by Bonnie Turner and Terry Turner. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about this. I think it's a movie that I had sort of been avoiding for a long time because I didn't understand (laughs) like the depths of its comedy, and I'm so glad I finally watched it. It stars Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, Rob Lowe, Tia Carrera, Laura Flynn Boyle, and so many insane cameos. I will not even begin to list them here. So tell me Mm -hmm. about Wayne's World. Yes. Uh, Also a movie I watched when I was younger. Um, I think I was in fifth grade. And I think my same uncle who who gave me the Star Wars VHS tapes, um, uh, his two sons, my cousins, um, one of them is my age and then his little brother is two years younger. And we would always like over summer, we'd like take turns being babysat at each other's houses. And I remember like one summer when we were in fifth grade, uh, my uncle was like, hey, like, let's watch this movie, Wayne's World. And he put it in. And <laughs> wait, third grade? I re- fifth grade, fifth grade. Fifth grade. Still, still, still pretty young. Yes. I, yeah, my family. Yeah. I, and I obviously like did not understand like nearly all the jokes, but right. I just thought it was so funny. And, I like was laughing through like every scene, whether or not I understood the jokes or whatever. It was just everything about it was just so funny to me. Like the way they talk. Uh, I mean, just even little things like, uh, you know, the swing, all this sort of stuff was just like so hilarious to me. And I remember for that entire summer, I literally watched that movie every single day. Like, like no, like I, I people say that all the time, but no joke. I put that movie on every day. And I like had memorized 
the entire movie by the end of it. Like wow. by the end of summer, I'll put it on and I would just like speak every single line of this movie. Uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, obviously, and the beauty of Wayne's world is that I think a lot of people fall in love with movies when they're kids that they age out of. I had the reverse where I aged yeah. with Wayne's world where that movie got funnier and better and more relevant and just better in every way as I got older with the movie and so it just has like never really left uh le- left me I've never you know or maybe I've never left it behind probably it never left me is the way I should say yeah it. I I was not expecting it to be as self-aware as it is um and I mm-hmm. feel like that's pretty groundbreaking um just in and of itself you see so many comedies sort of stem from that I do want to take a second to highlight Tia Carrera in this movie who of course plays the lovely Cassandra Wayne's love interest, um, because this month is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, and she is, I believe, of um, Filipina and Chinese descent. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's amazing. Like I, she mm-hmm. blew me away in this movie. She is so funny. Uh, those are her vocals. She's really like absolutely incredible. I'm. I am curious what effect it had on you as a young <laughs> fifth grade boy to see this. You know absolute freaking bombshell uh star in this movie and have it be an asian woman yeah i i obviously loved cassandra still love cassandra she is uh how could you not super badass <laughs> and i mean what i remember is that she was like a a woman rock star mm-hmm. you know in the movie and, and she like player. you know uh, and bass player like oh she wails man uh <laughs> you know so i think for me that was like a big thing obviously when you're a, a little boy you tend to watch things with boys and you like you know boy rock bands like i mean i hate to say it but that's that, that is what is true especially right back when i was like in fifth grade and so i remember i do remember seeing that and be like oh like you know she rocks like she's she's really cool uh and then like in terms of, like the the asian american thing so my grandparents um owned a filipino video rental store in the bay area i did so, not know that yeah 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 so a lot of my youth i was actually watching filipino movies um like various things when when i would like be in the store with them i'd like put them on and watch them uh but i i do remember that i mean tia carrera and was one of the first like asian people i had seen in a non-filipino movie um and i remember little bits like something that i thought was always so funny is when wayne like learns um cantonese he 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 learns Cantonese in like that one scene, you know, like Campbell, you learn Cantonese. <laughs> and like they have the subtitles there. And I remember all that stuff was like, like so funny, but also thinking like, oh, that's cool. Like they have someone uh, speaking a different language because Filipino movies are all in Tagalog. Hmm. Um, and this was one of the first things I also remember that had like a different language in it. Um, at the time, I didn't think it was so significant, but I, I think obviously in like recent years, that is definitely something that has picked up, especially because I think as a lot of uh, films and genres are moving to more like diverse ways, comedy, I think still has some like, you know, in the last couple of years, I guess comedy's picked up a little bit, but typically comedy you know, yeah. has mostly been a bunch of, especially movies I love, like um, tend to be driven by know, white men for sure. Tend to be driven by white men. Um, so I think in retrospect, I, I, I did notice that. Yeah. I think that the way that, the movie handles actually women and female characters in general, but in particular hers is like very, very deftly done, um, which, which Mm -hmm. I was pleasantly surprised by. Cause you know, 
quite easily she could have been the butt of a joke and she was not. Yeah. You've obviously built a career in digital content creation, whether it's video or podcast. And mm-hmm. I do think that you could absolutely make the case that Wayne's World is kind of the genesis of internet video, at the very least of YouTube, just based on how DIY mm-hmm. it is and how sort of mm-hmm. even down to like talking directly to the audience, um, which that that really blew me away. I- I'm wondering, do you feel like this movie had a particularly strong influence on your desire to be a content creator? I Interesting. Uh, maybe not directly, but I definitely would remember doing things like Wayne's World when I was a kid. Like mm-hmm. I would grab things in my house and like do like fake commercials with them like like they do in the opening scene with yeah, like the, the, the vacuum like, suck. thing. Yes. It, yeah, like it goes from suck to blow. Like I would do that <laughs> with things. It definitely affected the way that I would see people like interviewing things. Like Wayne's World was what I thought like talk shows were. And so <laughs> to me, that was like something that was very cool. And if I would like play Wayne's world, like with my cousins or with my friends, it would be like a sort of talk show thing. So yeah, I mean, I, th- th- that's probably something that sort of slipped in uh, at some point. Nice. Yeah. I feel like it definitely opens the door on in terms of like what's possible. Like it's, it's very, it's very accessible. It is in fact, community access at the, at the beginning. Yeah. Um, like at its core, Wayne's World, you can look at it and just think it's a buddy comedy, but it's really about two guys who are trying to save the show that they created, that they love from like selling out and becoming like this commercial thing. And I think that is an approach to life that I take. If you have something that you're working on, you know, make it your own. Do what you want to do with it. Don't try and fool on your ideas of what you think it should be just because there are other opportunities there. If you stick to your guns, you know, like like Wayne and Garth do, that that's the way. Absolutely. And also read contracts, I think is the other lesson. And read Wayne's read World. contracts. <laughs> I think Wayne's World is the greatest comedy of all time. Like period. There is no other comedy wow. that is better than this. And the greatest scene of all time, and speaking of like things that have aged with me, is uh they go get backstage and Wayne's trying to make small talk with Alice Cooper and it's like you go, so you come to Milwaukee then? And then Alice Cooper goes, Well, I'm a regular visitor here, but <laughs> Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors. The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. And then another guy goes, in fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? And Alice goes, yes, Pete, it is. It's pronounced Milwaukee, which is Algonquin for the good land. And I just think that is like the funniest scene ever. Like as a kid, I thought it was hilarious. But then as an adult, it's just like, it's 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 so funny and so like, ahead of its time, like making jokes about this and how like it's meta. Cause like it's Alice Cooper who like is this goth rock star. I don't know. There's, it's just like everything about that scene. I, whenever I think about Wayne's world, I think of that scene. I, it's, it's so good. So last question here, music obviously plays a really big part in Wayne's world. Uh, it's kind mm-hmm. of like in the DNA of Wayne's world. You know, the director we mentioned Penelope mm-hmm. Spheris, she was a music video and doc director prior to Wayne's world. She actually directed some Megadeth videos, I believe. Um, she's mm-hmm. extremely cool. <laughs> so check her out. Uh, how did the sort of like love of music affect your own life? Because our listeners may not know, but you are a musician as well. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to hear if that, if that, lent itself to you at all i mean this movie introduced me to a lot of music um queen obviously i had never heard bohemian rhapsody until i saw this uh also i sought out uh jimmy hendrix after 
Foxy Lady, Foxy which is Lady. used a bunch of times yeah. in this. <laughs> yeah, it definitely like in terms like it opened my world to like a lot of music I just had never ever heard before. So that's definitely a thing. I remember like really wanting a Fender Stratocaster, uh, <laughs> like the one Wayne gets, like, oh, she will be mine. Uh, like the most basic I, guitar, but it's, it's Yeah, like, I remember days. like really wanting that when I was a kid and like wanting to play guitar and all that sort of stuff. So it definitely like influenced, uh, you know, every facet of my like personality and, and, and creative uh, desires. Uh, from like how I look at comedy to music, like you say, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, definitely aspects there for sure. Nice. So I'm going to wrap this up by asking, of course, the question we always ask, which is that between Star Wars Episode Four, A New Hope, The Shining, and of course, Wayne's World, what through line do you see that connects them all for you? You know, I have spent a few days thinking about this because we do always ask it and it is much harder to come up with one on the spot than you would think so i thank all uh, our previous guests yeah for now you know beautiful <laughs> beautifully coming up with a very good answer for this uh but for me i think all of them just changed the way i look at movies and just like look at life obviously all three are like fantastic movies and have such endearing characters but for me they really affected the way that i observe other things not just the movies themselves like i said with star wars and the shining they both really opened my eyes into how like i look at movies and how i approach things creatively or how i began to appreciate things that happen before things go on screen uh and then with wayne's world like it changed the way that i like look at comedy at the time kids comedies are just kids comedies obviously for a reason I didn't know it at the time, but definitely the jokes that were landing with me with Wayne's World were things that made me look at comedy and appreciate comedy in like a very different level. Uh, it made me look for like sort of things ironic that are funny and then meta. And like even though I think people who know me personally, uh, they know that I kind of am very meta and sarcastic, like with my jokes a lot of time and all that just like stems from Wayne's World. So I think the three of them, the through line is that they all stuck with me beyond watching the movie. And I just like think about them every day, whether or not I, I mean to or not. But when I think about movies or other things, little aspects from these three movies are the reasons I think of them that way. If I got to that point correctly. You did. <laughs> I feel like the, this has been really fun for me to do. And I feel like something that was kind of illuminating for me to hear you talk about in all three of these movies as well is is sort of the appeal of like kind of the, the appeal of an of an auteur and and of sticking to your guns in terms of your creative vision. Like for for all three, you mm -hmm. highlighted that um, whether it's and whether it's with, you know, Han saying, don't give me the odds. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want in Star Wars or, you know, the way that that Kubrick approached directing in The Shining to get his vision across, which, by the way, Stephen King himself hated. But we won't get into that. Right. Um, right, right. <laughs> or or even Wayne's World talking about, you know, they've created this show that they love that's successful and like to not sell it out and, and keep it and, and build it for yourself. Um, Wayne, Wayne Campbell is an auteur like that. That should be <laughs> canon among everyone. <laughs> Wayne Campbell is an auteur. He had his vision and he was not going to change it. 
Well, this has been delightful, Ian. Thank you guys so much for listening. We've got a bunch more fun guests lined up for season two. Of course, I will be handing the interview reins back over to the one and only Ian DeBorja. <laughs> so please come back um, every Thursday for new episodes and we will see you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to head over to imdb.com slash podcasts for more content on me and to easily add the movies that changed my life to your IMDb watch list. <laughs>